0: Good morning, morning. we are getting ready to, we're going to start uh, this morning in Luke chapter 23, as we move on to the end of this particular uh, gospel. Getting very close, aren't we? As you anticipate, really, the death of Christ, you know, the uh, most consequential rejection that anybody can ever make is what affects their eternal destiny. Wouldn't you think that that would be the most important thing on anybody's minds? How the eternal destiny is there for all. Which is it going to be? There have been many that have failed utterly as they've blown, they've actually rejected Christ to the ultimate. The Jews and Pilate, the decision that they made to condemn Jesus Christ is the worst ever in history of mankind. That is hard to imagine. That was the worst thing that man could actually do is to kill God. Can you imagine it? And they're responsible. The uh, awful judgment that comes upon the nation is definitely seen years later in the rebellion that Israel has against Rome and they get slaughtered 70 AD, total destruction of Jerusalem they didn't repent nobody repented if nobody repents stay in their sins they have eternal judgment that is waiting on them they made a wrong sinful decision of what to do with Christ imagine that the Jews were an active force weren't they in this Pilate is really what would be passive in this whole thing he really doesn't want to kill Christ does he Of course, if you guys have seen the movies down through the years about the crucifixion of Christ, how many have seen some of those movies? Some of them are kind of neat to watch. Of course, a lot of things are added in there that are really not in the scripture. But, you know, we've heard the story. We've even seen the story many times, probably. A lot of stories on Pilate. He did it reluctantly. But he yielded to the Jews' demand not really what the truth was as far as God's eternal truth is. The Jews and Pilate were both guilty. The Jews have a greater degree of guilt and they will be punished more than Pilate would be. We have been looking for the last couple of weeks how the uh, Jewish leaders willfully, knowingly, rejected Christ, as we all know too well, but this week, it changes not only from the leaders of the Jews, but to the people, many who had been either following Christ, or were at least neutral. And they reject Him, and they show it in its full way. This is a significant turn of events that happens as the whole nation turns against Him. uh, It's like the whole world is against him. Basically, that's about it, isn't it? Even today, how did the people get to that point, where most of them saw him as uh, one who they were actually going to go into the kingdom with? Of course, their own idea of the kingdom They had followed him and they'd seen many miracles and heard him preach. But I think the leaders impress upon them that this isn't the leader that they thought they were getting. And because of that, they're easily swayed and persuaded by the voices of people who took leadership at that point. It's hard to fathom how a person can know anything about Christ that's true and willfully reject Him. Well, they make it non-truth, don't they? They make Him to be false. Try to imagine Him right out of their own minds. But it's hard to imagine. that Willfully reject the Son of God. And that just shows the power of sin in the human heart. That's why things go down the way they do. If it's not a God, it will end in destruction. It always has, it always will. And they will find out that the happiness that they were looking for and the freedom that they desired, they didn't get. They did not get at all. Matter of fact, a lot of people even confessed Jesus Christ and then a while down the road... They find out that the happiness that He offers is not what they want. So they get out of it. That's sad, isn't it? And that road leads to destruction. So the Jews went their own way and went into destruction as well as all of humankind does. If they do not trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Jews got what they wanted, at least they thought. Jesus was crucified He was taken off the cross. He was buried. He arose. They didn't know that was coming. All of this, they got him buried. It was on Friday. And it was done before sunset. This is all Passover. You see, Jesus has to be the Passover lamb between 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock, which is called twilight. So this has to be, because God had planned it that way, everything was a typology. It was a type of Christ. The Passover season was a great type of who Christ is, the Passover Lamb. See, the timetable has been made out by God. No matter what they do and when they do it, it's going to fall into perfect line. This is a perfect sovereign God. And for little things like timing, which amount to really something. It's God's plan. So they don't really get what they want as they try to make their own kingdom and they're slaughtered by the hundreds of thousands 40 years later or somewhere thereabouts. Survivors are scattered all over the world for 2,000 years. Those descendants many of them have come back into their homeland almost in our lifetime. Some of us during, just at that time. So, they willfully, knowingly rejected Christ. What an awful judgment. So did the Romans. They all have their eternity to go through. It's called eternal punishment. Let's get our scriptures. Let's read them. What a joy it is to turn to God's word, isn't it? Luke 23. Let's stand. Starting at verse 13. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor has Herod. For he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out all together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas! He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city, and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt, demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices and asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. Pilate pronounced sentence. Their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Father, great God, this is our Savior. What a way he was treated by humankind. It's unimaginable, Lord. The account is before us. It's true. It's accurate. And ultimately, it was done for us. And Lord, as we look at this passage, may we feel it. May we be like we're there, but not like the people who had once maybe even followed Him and then rejected Him that day cause of false news. Lord, we need your spirit to understand better this person of Christ and your plan. and your son's name, amen. amen. Well, Here we go. Again, the sixth trial. This is the last trial. We've seen the trials before the Jews. Three of them. They pronounced it guilty, brought him to Pilate the first time. They had three charges. Pilate says, I see no evidence at all. He is not guilty. They still insisted on him being guilty and being crucified. And he sends him to Herod. Herod is the one who was in Jesus' territory, Galilee. And Herod didn't get an answer from Jesus. They made fun of him. Herod asked a lot of questions. He was interested in Jesus, but not with repentance. And so here we are now. Jesus is brought back to Pilate. He's already given his verdict. should be over. Didn't even need to go to Herod. And Herod is basically saying he's not guilty. He has no evidence. So that's where we're at. There's insistent pressure upon the pe- by the people, by the leaders. It's now representing all of Israel. What changed? What happened? The big crowds are there. They're the mob. We've heard about the mob in recent news, haven't we? Those people are evil and they're wicked. Whether it's tearing out statues, shooting people, shooting cops, killing cops, the police, getting away with it. Some actually are being arrested. Hopefully justice will be done. We know it's all done in a political aspect. We should not be surprised. This has been worked up for years and years. They took advantage of an opportunity. That's what happens here. The leaders take advantage of an opportunity. And they lead in rebellion to get the whole nation to rebel against the Son of God and righteousness. So here we are. So please forgive me if a lot of this seems current. As we go through this again, I couldn't help but see it all the way through here as things are done in a very illegal way amongst people who know the law. In many ways, the passion story has a great turning point that happens right here. Until this point, the common people were really on the side of Jesus. They supported Jesus. The leaders were afraid of the crowd. You'll remember that many, many times. They could not carry out the threats. They've been wanting to kill Jesus for how long? Three years. Finally, the opportunity is here. But during the Passover, that's not what their desire was, but God says, yes, this is the time. It's going to happen. So somehow the people are going to have to go along. Otherwise, they would riot to the religious leaders and overtake them, wouldn't they? Overtake the temple. They would run it. But somehow they're convinced that Jesus is evil. Go back to chapter 20, verse 19 of Luke just one of many times. This happened. The scribes and the Pharisees, uh, chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour, and they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke this parable against them, uh, the leaders. Turn to chapter 22, verse 2. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, they were afraid of the people. That's no news to us at all, is it? We know all along it's been that way. How did this happen? Like, literally overnight, in hours, things changed. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? How can things change that way? Well, see, the city here in Jerusalem is just bulging with pilgrims. The Passover was Friday. Now. You know, uh, here it is that very same day. People are reacting against Jesus now. Uh, Pilate has attempted to release Him already. Here's the people, and I call them pilgrims. They're from all over Israel. They're from everywhere, even outside of Israel. They are in the streets, milling around. Word has gotten around what happened through the night. There were two trials done illegally in the dark just before sunrise. As soon as the sun came up, there was light. They had the third trial. Pronounced him guilty and then ran him up to Pilate. This is all happening, folks, within a couple of hours or so. This happened quickly. So the crowds now are gathering they're hearing the news. The news spreads quickly, doesn't it? And they're surrounding the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court people. They're at the Praetorium. That's Pilate's place. Maybe he comes out on his balcony and renders judgment. This crowd is swelling. I go, what's going on? What's happening? And all of a sudden, the crowd cries out to crucify Jesus you got to be kidding me. These are some of the people that's, that had met Him in Galilee. Some of these people might have even been healed by Him. Or their relatives were healed by Him. Maybe He resurrected their daughter. I don't know. That could very well be true, couldn't it? See, people forget Jesus real easy whenever the tide changes. And boy, did it ever. People's minds can change in hours. Many of these people who had shouted Hosanna, Blessed is the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe some of them just a few days before. I don't know. A lot of people say yes. Other people say no. It wasn't that crowd. Whatever it is. These were people who won against him before. You see how fickle people are? And with a depraved heart that has not been converted, they can change and have a different mindset on Christ. It just takes somebody to twist their mind. To twist the news. They had adored Him. They now hate Him. They want Him dead. That's fickleness. That's depravity, isn't it? You see, the whole scene from the Garden of Gethsemane where that arrest series started through all the trials has been a picture of what mob violence is about. There was a mob that came up and arrested him and they've they've been there throughout this all and now it is mounting in huge numbers. Pilate is seeing this happen. Uh Uh-oh. It's changing in a moment's time. They become unruly. And as the minutes go by, they become louder and louder, noisier and noisier. The chief priests, the rulers, get the crowd in an uproar. They lie to the people. You see, truth has been abandoned. Lies seem to prevail to destroy the most important man who ever lived. Man, God, Jesus lies. See, truth prevails ultimately. In the meantime, people like to believe lies. Why? Because they follow the father of lies. Satan. Turn to Acts 19. Let's get a good picture of how mob violence works. Whether people want to know history or not, we do, don't we? And here's what happens when you get people together and somebody says something, and some people start believing, and everybody else does. This happened during the time of Paul. He's in Ephesus, we were at Acts 19. There was a riot there of a lot of people. See there? It's uh, started off Christianity spreading there. Paul brought, brought the gospel. It's spreading, and there's a man named Demetrius. He's a silversmith. Guess what he makes? My idols. Idols. Artists. He's a craftsman, so he gathers other people of other of similar trades, like he does. He says, "Guys, we got to get together." if this continues, this will mean the end of our business. This is what we're about. This is what we do, guys. It depends on us to keep this going. Otherwise, Christianity, I didn't use those terms probably, that this movement that they're bringing in is going to destroy us. We've got to do something about it. So, Paul... uh, had said that gods made with hands are no gods at all. That's true, isn't it? They're just... Fake. There's no substance to idols at all. Uh, so anyway, Artemis, they said, was going to be considered as worthless. And the world is even going to worship. So, in verse 28, when the people... Some the guys heard this. They were filled with rage. Look at that. They weren't before like that. Boom. Filled with rage. They began crying out saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And you know what? They kept on saying it. This gets people in a frenzy. And it starts gathering momentum. starts with those craftsmen. People go, what's going on? They don't even have any idea what's going on. They just join the crowd because it's the cool thing. It's party time. So all of a sudden, violence can happen. Here we go. The city was filled with the confusion. They were filled with rage. Now you have the city filled with confusion. That's what's going on in our times, folks. It is pandemonium. It's absolute confusion that only the enemy can get into them to be able to do some of the things that do not make any sense. Here we have it right here. So they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. They're Christians. They're going to drag them in, they're going to drag them amongst the crowd. And when Paul would go into the assembly, Paul's saying, Let me at him. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell him the truth, you know. And they wouldn't let him go. I wonder why. He said, no, Paul, uh, they repeatedly urged him not to venture into the theater. So at the theater there is really a stadium, folks. It's an amphitheater outside. So then some were shouting one thing and some another. They don't know what they're doing. And for the, the assembly was in confusion. And the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. <laughs> That is the way mob violence starts. People have no clue. Why would you take down a statue of U.S. Grant who stood for abolishing slavery? And the whole thing is supposed to be about Black Lives Matter and slavery and all of that. And there they are taking down statues in our nation of people who stood, like Lincoln, you can go on and on with numbers, that have nothing to do with that, only relieving them out of the slavery. Don't want to get a mob pilot started here, folks, so we better keep <laughs> on going. I'm just saying this is how it works. Some of the crowd concluded it was Alexander. Oh it must be him, right? This is not Alexander the Great, obviously. Since the Jews had put him forward and having motion with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, a single outcry arose from them all as they shouted for about, look at this, two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Is that like six words? For two hours? Can you imagine a stadium full of people Chanting this saying for two hours. That's a, like a length of a basketball game. You feel people Satan for That's really what it is. Because who is Artemis? Well, he's a, an idol, a false god. That comes from Satan. Great is Satan of the Ephesians. Well, after quieting the crowd, guys, get this. And this is how you stop it. The town clerk. Who's that? That's the mayor. That is the mayor. Quiets the crowd. He's the leader of the city. That's all it takes in our cities for the mayors to say, that's enough, stop it, no more. And if you don't, we will send the police, the National Guard, whatever it takes to stop this nonsense. That's what a leader does. And that's what this leader does in this city. After quieting the crowd, it probably took a little bit to get them quieted, men of Ephesus... What man is there after all who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? Well, you wouldn't want to say that to uh, present crowds, but I mean, that's what that's his religion, that's their religion. And he says, yeah, you know, he gets them listening to him now. So since these are undeniable facts... <laughs> You ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. Since you have a God, He can take care of this, right? Stay calm. Think about this. Let's reason together, right? Let's reason. For you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of temples, nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then, if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session, and proconsuls are available. Let them bring charges against one another. Isn't that how it's supposed to be done? The mayor says, if you have a charge, then we would have to take it through legal ways. This is the just way. This is in a pagan city called Ephesus. And that's what the mayor says. Let's be legal about it. Let's calm down. Let's quiet down. Let's think about this nonsense. So, but if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. For indeed we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. Since there is no real cause for it, And in this connection, we will be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. It's going to come from Rome. They hear about it. They'll take care of it. They'll take care of it militarily. And it will stop. And he says, don't let this get any further. Stop it. Let's do it the way that it has to be done. It's called law and order. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. All of a sudden, the Artemis of Ephesians has just stopped. Now that is done, and this is scriptural, and I'm not trying to say, hey, I'm not trying to do a political thing here. We hear the news all week long, but I'm just saying, isn't that interesting? These kind of things have been going on ever since man has been the way that he has in his sin. Riots, disorder. The Jews have done riots in Jerusalem before, even before this. Trying to change what is legal. That's not the way it's to be done. There are legal ways to do that, though. And they have every right. We have every right to at least go before the courts and let that be decided that way. That's why a nation can be great, because of justice. But where there is no justice and there is no truth, you have chaos. And so it goes. Here it is scripturally, and we can find many other places. But I thought that was very interesting how that was handled there by pagans. They have a good law too that basically comes from God, whether they acknowledge it to come from Yahweh God or not, it's still a law that's good and what God has in mind now. The thing is, as we go back to our text, what we have here in Luke 23, at verse 13, Pilate summons the chief priest and the rulers and the people. And that's just what we've just been talked about, the people now, with the rulers. And the rulers are the ones who incite the people here and Pilate said to them, You brought this man. He doesn't call him Jesus here. doesn't call him with really a, uh, any kind of respect. It's really a disdain. It's a contempt. This is the creator of the universe standing before him. And he's called this man. Well, you say, yeah, but he's defending him. and Maybe he doesn't know his name. He knows his name. <laughs> John MacArthur had a paragraph on this. I thought was really, really good. Can I read it? Jesus appears like a blight on the human race who deserves neither justice nor sympathy. It seems as if He doesn't even deserve the recognition of being human. This is in the face of a life of perfection, a ministry of miracles in which He banished disease from the land of Israel, in which He delivered people from their diseases, from demons, from death, from ignorance, in which he had offered people the kingdom of God, a kingdom of salvation and eternal life by grace, and with it the full forgiveness of sins. This man, who is marked by gentleness and meekness and kindness, who has demonstrated the power that only can come from God, power over the physical world, power over the spiritual world, and power over the moral world. This one who is, in fact, God himself is not just incidental. He's not just anonymous. He is treated as if he is the scum of society. Pilate says, "This man," and you know, Pilate's way over him as far as he's concerned. But he, you know, he's trying to be just. That's his job to do, to be just. He's a judge, as well as many other things. And he said, "He's already said not guilty." I'll tell you another few things about Pilate as we've been uh, bringing this forward the, uh, the past few weeks. He must have been a very gifted man to get into the position. He had to be appointed by Caesar, the leader of the free world, but it was actually slaves (laughs) at the time. He knew that this man had abilities. He had to be an administrator as he was in charge of taxation. He had to be a man of very much wisdom, sound judgment, judgment, this man was the governor. He was the judge. He was the one to, I guess, had the final appeal in all matters of law. He's a formidable man. It's like he's a soldier, an administrator, a leader, and a judge. And When he first arrived in Jerusalem, his very first time, as he came there into the city, there wasn't the one in Syria who would later be over him. He came into An area that he was now in charge of and he really wasn't accountable to anybody in the Roman government except for Caesar. He took advantage of that. Goes into the city, great pomp. Soldiers all around him. They have banners. The banners had the images of Caesar on it which meant to the Jews, that's idolatry, Because they said, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. Caesar is a pagan deity. He's a pagan idol. A pagan god. The Jews saw that as idolatry. It offended them tremendously. They said, remove those banners. And he refused to do it. Because he was testing their will. Well, you know what happened? They had a little riot go on because of that at that time. Later on, he wanted to build an aqueduct, and so the temple had a treasury. He appoints the priest, even though he's Roman like priest, and he liked the idea of the temple. And hey, they were charged. He says aqueduct. Oh, remember that? He took money from the temple treasury to build that aqueduct. Oh, I, well, I tell you what, that did it. Irate, the Israelites became. They started another riot. And he had to kill some by the soldiers with clubs and swords. That went over well, didn't it? Uh, those reports inevitably went back to Rome. Second strike at least, isn't it? It was a third time. He decided to put shields in buildings. One of them happened to be in Herod's palace. Herod knows that this offends the Jews. He didn't want the shields. And it really had the name of Tiberius Caesar on him. And he got really highly offended. got really mad. And the news went back to Rome again another encounter occurred. Conflict of the wills. Pilate held his ground. He wouldn't give in. He wants to be the victor. I'm in charge of this area. All of Israel. So Herod sends the news back to Caesar. Caesar sent a messenger back to reprimand Pilate. Told him to take all the shields out from Jerusalem and take them back to the pagan temple in Caesarea. Pilate was for the third time humiliated. He can't win. But if he does another thing like this, it's over. The Roman Caesar will not have that happen again. He does not want any kind of a thing that's like a riot. It's the last thing he wants. Justice has already been done. The verdict from Herod We know also was not guilty. This is a just verdict. It was done properly in that sense. The Jewish trials were not. This is justice. Justice has been done. So now we move to 2316. Moving along very slowly today, aren't we? We've described through 15... Therefore, I will punish him and release him." Punish, it's a remedial punishment. Pilate a, uh, proposes a compromise here. He says, okay, after all this, we're going to beat Jesus, we're going we're to release him. Uh, the word here used by Luke is actually a mild term for punish. Um, maybe because that would sound better than another word, which is scourge. We're just going to punish him mildly. It's a terrible punishment. And you guys know that kind of punishment. As a matter of fact, a lot of times it resulted in death right there. and They didn't even go to the cross. They weren't crucified. A man would be whipped by leather thongs containing pieces of rock and metal. And it would go into the back as they would do those lashes on them and dig in there and bring out ribbons of flesh. You could see why that would kill people, wouldn't you? But that is what the people want more than that is death. But he says, I'm going to appease my conscience by saying the smile term of punishment. And I'm going to appease the crowds, because they'll see this and it will satisfy the bloodthirsty mob here as they beat him. It's a horrible sight. Pilate supposes that that kind of punishment can calm this whole thing down. You see, he's now saying, it's getting louder. It's getting crazy, folks, and people are going, what's going on? What's happening at the praetorium? What's going on? Everybody is, is woken up now, and they're, they're all, I mean, a, a huge crowd, just filling the streets. Oh, boy. Uh, it says here, now, he was obliged to release to them at least one prisoner. It says that he was punished and release him. Well, you usually don't release somebody with charges, But it's that time of the year that you release a prisoner. Okay, I get it. He's saying, huh. We can take that man, one man that they think, actually what they're thinking is they're going to have one of the worst. And he's saying we can have this man, Jesus, get punished and then be released. And that will be the man that I'll give up to them that, that can go free now. That's that's another idea that he has. Goodwill gesture. They would do this every year. And he's hoping that it will appease them, of course. And why not convict Jesus as being guilty? You know, He's innocent, but okay, make him look guilty. And then, you know, whatever, it's the treason. But here's a gesture of goodwill. Now you're released. And that will do it. But this man, Barabbas, he is violent. He's dangerous. Insurrection. Murder. Robbery. It's dangerous. They're going to release him out into the streets. The Jews are. A killer? I thought they were against insurrection. Against the Romans. Because that's one of the charges that they said about Jesus. And so he says, uh-huh, I'll give them one. Right? Again, okay, you're bringing him up here, uh, and you're using Jesus as one who was an insurrectionist, right? So, here it is. He was probably scheduled to be executed that day, Barabbas. Jesus indeed takes his place on that cross, possibly. Surely they wouldn't want a man like Barabbas out on the streets. Here in our nation, we have murderers that are running out on the streets free. How in the world does that happen? So, it may be well that that's what it is. Two, three thieves were crucified. One on one side, one on the other, and there's one that's going to be in the middle. And, of course, he's a robber. They're robbers. But maybe he was in charge of all of that with those guys. Who knows? He's in the middle. Maybe they're like henchmen for him, right? He was intended to be on the Middle Cross, this Barabbas. So um, we have Pilate unmasking their hypocrisy. It's seen if they're really concerned about the insurrection. Jesus is not doing that. Barabbas has been proven guilty, it's already been proven. Very shrewd. And so he makes his point. People do not accept the (coughs) verdict. We read that they said in verse 18, they cried out all together saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. I can imagine, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. It's becoming more and more organized. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, "Crucify, crucify him!" In uh, Matthew twenty-seven twenty-two, Pilate keeps showing his desire to release Jesus. Twenty-seven twenty-two, he says, "What shall I do with Jesus?" That would have been a good title for today's message, and I think I really have it. Uh, That kind of tied it in with giving in to the mob even when he knew better even when he was trying to legitimately do the right thing what shall I do with Jesus isn't that what we really like to bring to people who do not Christ do not know Christ what are you going to do with him Well, the crowds incited by the chief priests, the scribes, they call for Jesus' death, crucify, crucify him. They want to release Barabbas. They want Jesus to die. Give us the revolutionary. He's the revolutionary, huh? Give us the guilty. Kill the innocent. Right? It's basically what's happened. The word crucify... Uh, It's related to uh, excruciating. Uh, Crucible, crucifix, excruciating. That's one of the worst terms that you can have for pain. So excruciating comes from crucifixion. It's the worst. The crowd is vicious. They want death. He said, I can't believe they wanted this bad. How bad is the human heart? I want us to feel this. Because see, they wanted Jesus to feel that indescribable pain of prolonged agony. In this case, it's going to be for hours. It's going to be that day. If they could have, they've already broken the law, they would love Him to just stay on the cross for days till finally he would die and then just get eaten up by all the birds. They want him to be scorned by the masses, all the crowds. During this Passover season, third time Pilate, of course, saying not guilty. It's at this very moment that Pilate's wife enters the scene. It's Matthew 27. And she had a dream. She gets a message to him while he is trying to figure this out. Tells him not to have anything to do with this just man. Because she suffered many things in this um, that night that, that she dreamed this. Pilate scared death of Jesus. His wife sure is. She's concerned. He's concerned, and oh, he's t- and and now he's saying not guilty. Again, after hearing that, he has guilt over sentencing this perfectly innocent man. He had a sense of fear of Jesus, but it wasn't that fear of Jesus where there was repentance. It's an intimidating situation. He doesn't know what to do. He has more one more confirming witness to Jesus' innocence. In verse twenty-two, he said to them the third time, "Why, what evil has this man done? I have found him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him." That's already he's already said that, right? Says it again. I mean, he gives everything that he could except one more thing to give him protection and freedom to get out of there. What evil has he done? What, you know, why do you hate him so much? What in the world? Why do you just want to kill an innocent man? You see, Pilate didn't want to release Barabbas. Barabbas. Because you're turning a murderer into the streets. He's absolutely against Pilate and and the, the Romans. Pilate pleads for this, for the release of Jesus. Again, the innocence of Jesus was reiterated. They beat him unmercifully, though. That's the thing. Why give him that punishment? 22. He said to them the third time, "But what evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding of death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him." Twenty-three. But they were insistent with loud voices, asking that he be crucified. Scourge. We talked about that. That's what he did. Scourged. His prevailing voices now of the rioters, the mob. When it says they were insistent, you know what that Greek verb means? Epikyami. It's the rush of a storm. When you've had a violent storm come, do you experience that cool wind that comes in the trees are going like this? The rest of the storm is following. That is the idea of this word here. They were insistent. It is the roaring, like a storm, coming at Pilate. Now they're really coming at him. And they are loud. You notice this, they're insistent with loud voice. It has got up to a point where he can probably, he probably can't even hear himself. You ever been at a concert, a rock concert, where it's so loud and you're up in the front row? and your ears are going, phew, 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 you know, and all of a sudden it's like, I think I lost my earring. <laughs> Probably something like that. You've got thousands of people out there. Now, well, the pressure is irresistible. He has to choose now. He's tried everything that he thought of. Between his own career, that's really what it's about, or Jesus. Is he willing to give up his career? Because if he doesn't give in, the mob wins. Who knows what happens? They might even go in and tear up the pra- praetorium. They might even start throwing things at the Roman soldiers, grabbing clubs and swords themselves, right? Who knows what would happen at this time? They'd probably go after Pilate as they tried to get to Jesus. They probably would have crucified Him on their own. But God says, no, it's not going to happen that way. Well, He had to make a choice between His career and Jesus. That's really what it boils down to, isn't it? That's really what it is. Because, see, He still has the power. He is the most powerful man in the land. And if they rush Him, right... Cost him his life, so we're gonna to have to put this done here. We can't take another disruption. So he gives in. He gives in to the mob. There's 24. Pilate pronounced sentence. This is sad. That their demand be granted. He released the man that they were asking for. Doesn't make a bit of sense. For who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Doesn't want a riot. A riot is starting. In Matthew 27 24, if you wanted to look it up, it says a riot began to start. It's really starting. They're rushing. It is a strange act. And. You know where it says that he probably puts his hands into a bowl of water. Maybe he had it brought out. Maybe he's up on the uh, balcony for people to see. us gets this bowl out, washes his hands. Where did he get that at? Well, from Scripture, actually. I don't know if he knew where it came from, but the Jews did that. was a practice that they had He'd been around enough. He'd probably seen it or heard about it. Sounds kind of different. They had their customs. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 21, in the law, he brings the law right back up to them. There's like nine verses here, and I'm not going to read them all because of uh, the lack of time. We're getting near the end here, I think. Um if there is a person that's out in the open country in the land and he's dead, nobody knows who killed him. And they don't know which city he's from. Where he's at? They measure what closest that he is to a city, which is nearest to that man has been killed. And now they're responsible for him even though they don't know who killed him, unless they catch that man, they have to do something with it to, be, to finalize it. Which city is it? Well, they measure it. Then in verse 5 it says, "...the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for the Lord your God has chosen them to serve Him, and to bless in the name of the Lord, and every dispute and every assault shall be settled by them. All the elders of that city which is nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. See, there is even a sacrifice there. They break the neck of a heifer. Blood was shed, and now there is to be a sacrifice done. You have the priest there, and then you have the elders, and they're going to wash their hands. What's going on? That even fits into today's. You've got to keep washing your hands, right? <laughs> They shall answer and say, Our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it. Forgive your people of Israel whom you have redeemed, O Lord, and do not place the guilt of innocent blood in the midst of your people Israel. And the blood guiltiness shall be forgiven them. So you shall remove the guilt of innocent blood from your midst when you do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. So that was taken care of in that sense. Now they don't know the murderer or what, where this man is from. Now they figure it out by the measurement. And then they, the hands are washed. And they're saying, the blood is not on them. It's not to be held against them. He's saying to them, I'm done. I can't, nothing can be held on me. You have forced this matter. It's in your hands. It's not in mine. The blood is gone. He didn't want to kill him. And in history, we know that. We've been proving it. Looking at it again today. And so their demand is granted to prevent a riot that would cost him his career. He releases Barabbas. A blatant Killer, Israel has blatantly rejected Jesus Christ. and he's delivered to the will of the Jews. Matthew 27:26 also says that, do you understand their rejection of Jesus? It's profound, isn't it? This is a far-reaching rejection. They even said, "We have no other king, but Caesar." Are you kidding me? They would have never said that, never. But yet, to get Jesus killed—that's part of their statement. We're under the one king here on in this land, or of all the land of Rome. He's our Caesar. He's our Lord. That's really what they're saying. The irony of this whole thing is that it's true. They rejected their true king, and Caesar is their king, and Caesar will not get them to heaven. I think it's in verse sixteen of John nineteen he delivered him to them to be crucified. That's what Luke twenty three twenty five says he delivered Jesus to do their will. Ultimately, though, whose will is being done? God's. But they're held responsible. The blood is on them. All rejectors of Christ are doing the same thing today. They will go to hell. They will go to the same hell as these Jewish people, as Pilate, as Herod, all the ones who did not trust in Christ, You see, the people of today who reject Christ, their guilt is no less than the very ones out in that crowd who were screaming for the blood of Christ, that he be crucified. They are in no better shape than they are. But the beautiful thing about Christ is that we know that probably some of these people were chosen ones and were forgiven of their sin. They were graced. They were given mercy. Weeks later, they might have been part of the same crowd that heard Peter's message. And they joined the crowd of Christians of all ages. The very ones who were saying, crucify Him. Isn't that just like God? Because you know what? We might not have ever said it in those words. But There was a time when we didn't want any part of Christ, did we? Who's He? And if if you're just in between, you're not saying anything against Him. Not saying anything for Him. You're just as guilty. Your sins will be wiped away. When people repent, wiped away by the very death of Christ, isn't that incredible? There is a great loving God, even despite the wicked act that we are seeing here. And we know the crucifix now lays ahead. What happened to Pilate? Well, in his lifetime, there are different stories that Eusebius, a historian, said that Pilate, in like a short amount of time, maybe a couple of years, Killed some Samaritans up north there in Israel that were supposedly armed. He had them killed. News got back to Caesar and that was it for him. He was, he was called to Rome. Some said he was pronounced guilty. Some said he went into exile. Some said that he retired and enjoyed the rest of his life with great memories of being in Israel. (laughs) Different thoughts and ideas, but some say that he was exiled and he committed suicide. Others say that the Romans killed him. Can you imagine the guilt that he must have had all the way to the point of his death? Whether it was suicide or whether the Romans killed him, can you imagine how he must have felt at that moment, knowing he was entering in to eternal punishment? He was the one responsible for giving punishment to Jesus. He could have let him go. He tried everything. He thought there'll be a lot of people said, "I did this. I did that. I cast out demons in Jesus' name. I did miracles. I I pre- I preached Jesus Christ crucified." I did that. I did this. And yet Jesus will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. All you who practice lawlessness. But yet at the same time, we also have a forgiving God. Thank the Lord for his great grace that we sang about this morning that we just see even in this story because Jesus knows that he has to die and it happens it has to spray right. father thank you for this time of looking at your precious word your truth your story it's never erased they can't erase his story the history the cross of Christ, where He took our place. We were Barabbas. And you died sacrificially for us. You took the punishment of the whip of the 39 lashes for us to be in your family and to enjoy that forever. All glory to you, great God Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.